0: Building influence is a learned skill. It's an investment that you can make in yourself. Having more influence can hold the keys to helping you achieve your dreams and to having the life and the impact that you hope to have. I'm your host, Laura Cox Kaplan. I'm delighted that you're here and that you're making this important investment of time in yourself. Hey friend, welcome to episode 278 of She Said, She Said podcast. I'm really glad you're here. So today we're diving into a topic that I have wanted to talk about for some time. Um, A close friend of mine introduced me to this concept of the Enneagram and I've been really fascinated by it ever since. So to break it down and really help us understand what the Enneagram is and how it can be valuable, especially as it relates to maybe things like goal setting. It is still January, and if you're anything like me, you've set those big goals, but maybe in the back of your mind, you you also worry about, well, what happens in February and even March, and will those goals seem like a distant memory? So I was curious to to really dive into how the Enneagram in particular can be helpful here. My guest today is one of the foremost experts on the Enneagram. She is an author, a coach, a teacher, a public speaker. Her name is Beth McCord. She's written several books on the topic and her latest book, which focuses on how the Enneagram can be a helpful tool for moms in particular, that book is actually coming out this summer. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to break down what the Enneagram is. We're going to talk about the nine different dimensions. I happen to be a three, by the way. Beth is a nine. You will probably hear elements of the personality traits that we talk about that you will identify with. So um, buckle up friend, maybe grab a pen. We cover a lot of material in this episode. Um, at the end though, I would love for you to share with me your thoughts on the Enneagram. Have you used it as a tool for yourself? How has it worked for you? Um, what do you think about all this? I'd really, really love to hear. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate it. Um, It's really helpful when folks leave a rating. So if you're so inclined and you have an extra second after you've had a chance to listen, go on. Give me five stars. Tell me what you liked or what aspects of the conversation resonated with most with you. I would really love to hear. For now, though, here is my conversation episode 278 with the fabulous Beth McCord. Beth, welcome to She Said She Said. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. I have been looking so forward to this conversation and really been thinking about the Enneagram for a really long time now, at least, you know, two or three, maybe four years. So let's start from that standpoint and have you really level set, both for me and for my audience what is the Enneagram?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a weird word, you know, when it first <laughs> popped up for people. Now it's been around since the seventies, but really kind of became a kind of a hot trend around 2016, uh, when a book came out called the road back to you and people really like got interested in it. Um, but the word Enneagram is like, what is this thing? And Ennea just means nine in Greek and diagram or gram is just meaning a diagram Um, or a drawing. So it's really a nine pointed geometric figure. Mm -hmm. And with our logo at your Enneagram coach, we put a dot on each of, um, you know, kind of the, the angles of that kind of like a nine pointed star, if you will. Mm -hmm. And each of those dots represents a personality type, a main type. Now, you know, there's People can get confused, like, how do I find my type, you know? And I think we're used to a lot of personality things out there to look at our behaviors. But the Enneagram is so fascinating because it gets to the why you think, feel, and behave. Like, what is the motivations behind all that's happening? And Mm. that can be super powerful. So when you're trying to find your main type, you really want to look at the core motivations, like the core fear the mm-hmm. core desire, the core weakness, and the core longing. And those four aspects will really help you to know why you get tripped up in the way you do, why you excel in the way you do, because these are the things that are really motivating you in positive and negative ways. And that's the thing about the Enneagram is it's like a non-judgmental friend. Mm-hmm. It's just going to tell you like it is. And sometimes that can be hard to swallow because it's going to point out not just the great things about you, but not the great things about you as well.
0: Yeah. You know, it It, it strikes me as, as I was going through this and taking the quiz, which I would recommend folks do if you have a curiosity about this, go to Beth's website and, and take the quiz for yourself. Um, but it struck me that oftentimes our greatest strengths can also at times be our greatest weaknesses.
1: Yep, yep absolutely.
0: Let's dig into this a little bit more and talk about um, maybe some of those examples of how strengths really can also be weaknesses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am an Enneagram type nine, the peaceful mm-hmm. accommodator. Uh, my core fear is the fear of conflict, tension of any kind, being overlooked, shut out, and in any kind of discord with others. I My desire is to have inner stability and peace of mind. But kind of in order to get to that place, I have a core weakness of sloth. Now, this isn't a physical laziness, this is an internal slothfulness and not knowing myself, my passions, desires, um, skills, talents, all of those things. And it's like, why? Well, because if I focus on myself and what I want, then that might cause conflict and tension with others. Mm. And I may not be able to go along to get along. So, the strategy of the nine is to always create peace and harmony. And so, we usually fall asleep to ourselves in order to focus on others. But that in itself isn't good. Um, and so, but my core longing is to hear your presence matters. Well, in some ways, how can your presence fully matter, even though it does? How can it fully matter or you sense it if you're constantly hiding yourself from you and from others? So I've had to learn, oh, it's really important for me to wake up to myself that though peace and harmony are wonderful attribute, there's that saying is, um, if you avoid conflict, you create conflict. Hmm. And so my very weakness of avoiding conflict is actually creating the very thing I don't want, which is conflict. So by actually waking up to my desires, my wants, um, my giftings, which still bless others, and actually moving forward and asserting myself in that way, though it feels scary, like, oh, is this going to like upset someone? But by doing that, I actually Create less conflict and more harmony and more authenticity. So it kind of feels the opposite of how we kind of thought when we were growing up. But I think a lot of us know the things that we used when we were growing up don't really work anymore mm-hmm. in our adulthood. Not that they worked really well when we were little, that's right. just all we knew, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's where the Enneagram could be really powerful because it's going to let you know why you're doing uh-huh. that thing. Um, so for me, it shows why. I kind of hide myself at times or why I think my presence doesn't matter, but ultimately the path to growth. And there's a saying by um, Joseph Campbell, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Mm. So my cave that I feared to enter was living out my calling, my dreams, my desires, figuring that out because I feared that it could stir up conflict or tension or people would disagree. When in actuality by doing that, I've created this incredible company that's really helped so many people. Now, that is something I never dreamed of, but I'm so thankful that I had friends and other people kind of encourage me to keep going on that path that felt so scary to me because the treasure was really on the other side of that weakness that I had.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I love that aspect of your story, Um, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how you built the company. But, but before we before we get to that question, although it would have been a nice sort of continuation, but I, I, I want to backtrack just a bit. yeah. And I'd love for you, because we are still in the month of January, a lot of people, myself included, have set some big goals for things that we want to accomplish. Maybe talk about how the Enneagram can be a really helpful tool in helping you both set goals and prioritize and also achieve them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So each of the nine Enneagram types, you know, like we said, they're going to have things that really trip them up and um, but it's going to be very different. That's what's so amazing about the Enneagram, because, you know, when you listen to a person talk about setting goals or um, how to achieve the next thing in this upcoming year, it's usually a general statement, a general teaching for everyone to listen to, and there are probably some overarching principles that are good for everyone. But when you take the enneagram and you nuance it for each of the nine types, it really um, explodes in the in the amount of growth that can happen. Hmm. So let me take um, a type one for instance. So a type one is the Um, the principled reformer. They fear being bad and wrong and making mistakes and being uh, uh, incorruptible, but they desire to be good and do what's right. So you can imagine they have this internal message that says, it is not okay to make mistakes. So if they live by that principle, then Every time they set out to have a new accomplishment for the new year, they are going to really go all in because it's the right thing to do. Well, that can actually be a hindrance because, you know, well, if I can't do it perfectly, then I'm not going to do it at all, which is what some people will say. Or they will strive and strive and strive and constantly put themselves down because they're not being perfect in whatever um, whatever level of perfection they think, or the world says they should be at. Mm -hmm. And so they can actually be hindered by these internal thoughts that kind of plague each of the types. Now, the type two is a little bit different than the nurturing supporter, and they're wanting to help and take care of others so that others will see how they're taking care of and be appreciative of mm. the care. So they really want people to see what they're doing, to be appreciative, and that's where they kind of feel this love. But if they're constantly focusing on helping others, they're then forgetting and negating themselves, which only will exhaust them because all they're doing is giving to others and they're not replenishing themselves. So again, they could be, it could be, it could look like they're doing some great things by helping others, but at what expense? And so when we take these, um, principles of what's good and how to grow personally if we really dissect it down to each of the nine enneagram types so much more growth can happen cuz you're like oh i totally do that i thought it was kind of a good thing but now i can see what you're saying like, yeah like if i'm a type 2 and i like exhausted myself and then i'm going to get irritable and i'm going to create, create the same problems that i was not looking for and so this really helps each individual to understand themselves on a more nuanced
0: level Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I think I identify most, as best I can tell, without some proper coaching and <laughs> just yep. going through the quiz myself, where I can sort yep. of see myself on different, you know, from aspects of all nine dimensions. But but more probably a three mm-hmm. than anything else. And when I ask my friend, my friend who actually introduced me to the Enneagram, when I ask her, she's like, "Absolutely, you're a three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure if that's. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so threes are the admirable achievers. They fear being a failure, Mm -hmm. being exposed, um, not having worth and value, not being efficient, um, not accomplishing the goals that they've set for themselves. Mm -hmm. What they desire is to be admired, to be respected, to uh, be successful, and to accomplish the things that they've set out for them. Um, And so does that kind of ring true for you?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But but it it sounds selfish. You know, when I hear someone say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, I can. I completely (laughs) can identify with all of that at the same time. Like, I hope it's about serving others and doing something that's, been a, that's, that's beneficial for people, yeah. whether it's the person listening today or whether it's the guest that I'm talking to and, and helping to promote her platform. And so I think, you know, when I, when I, when I read it, I'm like, ooh, yeah. you really sound so selfish. Well, here's the thing. Usually when you find your type,
1: uh-huh. it feels that way initially. <laughs> That's good to know. So if you if you're reading a type and you're like, oh, that kind of felt like someone punched me in the gut, mm-hmm. you know, you um, probably found your type. But that's what's so interesting about the enneagram. Like I said, it's a non-judgmental front. It's just going to lay it out there for you. Now, often it shows you where you're at your best, your healthiest. But as humans, we don't usually sit in that space. We usually gravitate towards our weaknesses and kind of hone in on that. And then we shame ourselves and it becomes a whole cycle. But if we're willing to be curious about the whole spectrum, our health to our unhealth and Mm -hmm. everything in between, and be gracious to ourselves like we would extend to someone else you're going to see so much more growth happen because you're going to become your own coach, your own leader, where you're going to be like, yeah, you know what? There are parts of me that are unhealthy or less healthy or struggle, Mm -hmm. but it's not the whole of me. But those very things that are weaknesses are also my strengths. And those things truly bless people. So Really the goal of the Enneagram, think of it as your internal GPS. Your main type is your current location, and then you have a healthiest destination. So Mm -hmm. me as a nine, I have a healthiest destination that looks, that brings out the trueness and all that I have, all the, the best qualities of me in that direction. Um, and for three, you have a different trajectory. It's kind of like I'm in Nashville. So it'd be like, I'm trying to head to Chicago, but if I started to go head off to New York, that that's not the right path, you know, but let's say your direction is New York, you know, but you head to Chicago. Like, that's not the right. So what is your best path? And that's what the right. Enneagram is going to help unfold. But then the Enneagram shows you when you veer off course. So what is it like? As a type three, that yeah, you know, maybe your heart's intention was to be good and authentic and caring for others, but then you start to veer off and it becomes more self focused in a way that is less maybe beneficial for others and more self consumed about your own success and being admired. Well, we could do a couple things with that. We could, again, shame ourselves, put ourselves down. Or we can take that as an aha moment. And what I mean by that is I teach people to use the Enneagram as a rumble strip on the highway. Mm. You know, when you're driving down, you know, and you're not, let's say, paying attention or you're sleeping at the wheel, you're texting, hopefully you're not, but you start to veer off and that rumble strip wakes you up. Now, if you're not paying attention at all, you might not even notice the rumble strip, right? You might just kind of maybe be totally asleep. Well, you're going to crash. Now, the goal is to understand your personality structure from the healthy to the unhealthy so that when you hit that rumble strip, so let's say for you, you recognize, oh, you know what? I really want to do what's best for everyone, but I'm starting to recognize I'm getting a little self-focused and pushing my way. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that can be your rumble strip. It could be a point where you're like, okay, yeah, that's that's part of me, but it's not all of me. And I can take this moment and I can choose to either continue in this trajectory or I can choose a healthier path. And the Enneagram is going to show you what that healthier path is. Now, it's not that it's easy, but you have... Um, You have ownership of your own life. Mm -hmm. You can decide which direction you're gonna go in. And maybe you need a coach to help you, maybe a friend, um, a mentor, someone that can come alongside you and say, Yeah, I see your best qualities and I'm gonna champion you all the way there. And that's really where the Enneagram can shine. So if you're feeling, um, you know, sad or um, upset with yourself because your type does A, B, and C, that's normal but it's not the whole of you there's so much more
0: yeah i love that i mean that's that's so incredibly helpful one one thing that i'm curious about how how you talk about how you explain is the role of your story right i mean your your story and your experience your life experiences impact and inform the particular enneagram that you become right yeah But how do you keep from getting stuck in a particular narrative or a mindset that maybe is not your healthiest mindset, in spite of the fact that that's kind of the direction that your story has taken? Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the story that the nine has, the the overarching narrative is, which is me, Mm -hmm. is my presence doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. I should focus on everyone else and i definitely shouldn't assert myself so that's the lens through which i see the world okay that's how i take in information interpret information um, and that it's my job to create harmony and peace and mediate by overlooking myself and focusing on others so when i was a little girl and that's the lens i've had since birth because that's how i was created I saw my brother who was a severe stutterer and my parents, you know, trying to help him. Well, I couldn't add more to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't be more disruptive because that would be, you know, that wouldn't create harmony and peace. So I needed to be as easygoing and, uh, uh, accommodating to my family as possible to keep the peace, or at least to keep it as as much as we could, and so I learned those survival skills from a very young age. What worked for me from the lens that I had. Now, as I've gotten older, um, the narrative of "don't assert yourself" was very loud, and so when I would have certain gifts and talents. I would basically shove them aside and then just go about living out whatever role people wanted me to live. And I was pretty great at those roles, a mom, a wife, a pastor's wife, um, mentor, you name it. I did great, but it wasn't all of me. It wasn't who I was meant to be, but I never really thought my presence mattered, that I could contribute until I had a wake up moment. Now I had been studying the Enneagram at this point for like 15 years. Oh, wow. And that's how much, how ingrained these false narratives are within us. They are constant. They're, they're humming in the background, whether really loud or small, kind of just mm-hmm. depends. And the more we allow it to be loud and we think it's true, the more it's going to derail us. And the more we awaken to it and we actually see it and own it, but welcome it, not in a shaming way, but we welcome it, we're able to then navigate our heart. So at this one moment in my life, I had actually been kind of like the Wizard of Oz, where I put my husband out in front of everyone, like, oh, he's the Enneagram person. This was Like way back, but I was like, they're not going to want to listen to me. He's a pastor, they're going to want to listen to him. So I'll be, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, pulling the strings and telling him what to do and say, Well, then when people kind of went to him, I felt jealous, like, Wait, I'm the one that knows the Enneagram. (laughs) Well, what I was doing is I was teaching, I was training people to overlook me, that Hmm. I was training people to think that my presence didn't matter because it didn't matter to me. So what I was learning is what I permit, I promote. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to continue in that path, which I could, it's what I've been doing all my life, it's what I knew, or I could enter the cave I feared to find the treasure that I seek, which is not only knowing that my own presence and voice matters, but that it has a ripple effect in the lives of others. Mm. Now, so I started your Enneagram coach out of this passion moment that I had, this wake up call moment. Um, when I realized all of this, and I chose the path, you know, to enter that cave. But that those same messages, they're on a record player cycle on loop. And they're there all the time. Like I said, sometimes they're softer, sometimes they're louder. But I have to choose, am I going to show up for myself and coach myself. So what I usually do is, they're always there. Like even when I do like Instagram posts, I'm like, who cares, who cares what I'm gonna say, you know? And then people are like, no, we really do care what you have to say. And I'm like, really? You know, it's like this daily thing. But yeah. I have to choose to get behind myself and lovingly push and say, no, your presence and voice matters, even if it's just to one person, or even if it's just to acknowledge to yourself, get out there and do the next right thing. Now that's my story as a Type Nine. And when I usually talk to Type Nines, they're like. Oh my gosh, I totally get it. That is so me. But that's the nines perspective. A type eight does not have that perspective. Their perspective is I need to plow a path for myself. And I'm not going to let anyone control me or get in my way. Um, I can't trust anyone because at any moment, they might betray me, they might blindside me, they might harm me or those that I love. And that that's just not going to happen. So I've got to be authentic and real and just plow this path. Now, that can get them, you know, far in the sense of like, yeah, they're gonna like go for it in this like a snowplow. They're gonna plow a path. But what's better, what's more healthy for the type eight is to recognize, yes, you were created to plow a path. But like a snowplow, it's to plow a path for others to then go behind you so that they could find their own journey. Mm. And that's what eights are so good at. But when they're not in that healthy perspective and they are suspicious that others are going to betray them or blindside them or control them, then they're kind of plowing without seeing the people in front of them and saying, hey, get behind me. I got you. They're just plowing. And so that can create harm in their relationships. And when there's discord and harm and then these obstacles are like, what's going on? I just guess I have to plow even harder. Well, that doesn't help. So as you can see, each of the nine types are going to have their own interpretive lens that they see the world through, their own false narratives that they think are true. But it's Mm -hmm. only when we understand our type, explore it. Um, I suggest having a coach walk you through it. And then you're like, oh, now I know what the rumble strips are. Now I know how to awaken to them. And so I can choose which way I'm going to go. Am I going to still head in that trajectory and fall into that ditch? Or am I going to take a moment to coach myself back into a healthy place? So it's so powerful. The biggest thing is awareness, welcoming yourself into that awareness, not shaming yourself, and then receiving what's true and moving forward in that new direction.
0: Yeah, that is so incredibly helpful. Maybe uh, talk a little bit about how... The Enneagram does or doesn't work in tandem with other kinds of personality tests. Is it completely sort of self-contained or do you find it to be complementary to other things like whether it's Myers-Briggs or I mean, there's all sorts of personality tests at at this point, but maybe how you see these things interrelate and, and maybe as useful tools they totally interrelate. And
1: I think all of those tools are extremely beneficial, but they're very different. Mm. And I think that's beautiful. You know, we're a very complex Human beings, right? We're not just simple. And that's one reason why I love the Enneagram because it's not that you're just one main type. You actually use all nine types to varying degrees. One just reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of complexity to the Enneagram. Um, My gifting and skill set is to make it easy to understand and easily accessible into your everyday life for growth. But it is a complex system. Um, But think of the Enneagram as the foundational piece into understanding yourself. And then you can build everything off of there. So the reason why we use that as a foundation is because it is why you do what you do. It's why you think, feel, and behave. So when you get down to the why, everything else starts to make sense. So for instance, um, strength finders, well, I have strings of harmony, well, that makes sense, right? I have a strength in discipline. Well, I have a one wing. The type one is right next to the nine, and that influences my type nine to different degrees. And the one, once things done right, let's follow mm. you know, the correct path. Well, that brings a lot of discipline into it. So it starts to go, hmm, that makes sense, you know, why that's a strength of mine. And so these different personality tests are going to complement, help inform but they're also different enough that they're informing you on something um, that expands more of who you are than just one said thing. And I love that because when you go into Sherman Williams, you don't just say, hey, give me the blue color. I'm going to paint my room blue. Like there's <laughs> billions of blue colors, right? right? You have to nuance it. Well, that's how we are. Like uh, the type threes in our Enneagram logo, we use it as a green color. Just That's just how, what we chose. Um But if I just said, pick a green, like, well, you are a different green than the next type three and the next type three, like you're your own person with your own story and the different nuances of what your Myers-Briggs is and your strength finders and your disc. Now, there might be some overlaying similarities, uh, but you're still going to be uniquely you, which I think is truly beautiful. And it's true to the human experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Beth, I know you have a new book that's going to be coming out. And I know a lot of folks that are listening will be super interested because it's about Enneagram, and motherhood. You want to give us a little preview. I know the book's not coming out until the summer, um, but maybe give us a little preview on why, because that actually was one of my questions before I even realized that you were working on this book and getting ready to put it out there, is how does this relate to our kids, and how early is too early to kind of introduce this concept to them or to try to maybe help them find their Enneagram type?
1: Yeah, Great question. Yeah. So the book is called Enneagram for Moms. And in, actually, you can pre-order it even now on Amazon oh, good. or probably all the places. But yeah, um, we will we'll
0: include of... a link in the show notes for this episode, episode 278, yeah. where folks can pre-order the book.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so Enneagram for Moms, um, when I, so I started learning the Enneagram when I was 26 years old and my kids were one and three. Mm, wow. And if someone could just give me an instruction manual. I would be so grateful. Like, how do I raise this kid and this kid? Because they're different, you know? Right. Well, the Enneagram, you cannot type someone. They have to find their own type because it's why you do what you do. And I don't know why you do what you do, Um, Laura. So for instance, um, all nine types could want to have a perfectly clean home well, they're going to want it for different reasons. The why the ones want it because it's perfect. It's the right thing to do. The twos, it's a warm hug for the person that comes in. The threes are like, yeah, but what are people going to think when they come in? I kind of look, you know, put together and successful. And the type fours are like, yeah, but I have to create this beautiful atmosphere that reflects who I am and my unique style. And the fives are like, well, I want a home that's practical and I can get to my resources quickly. And the six is like, well, what about all of the worst case scenarios? Like if I don't clean, then there could be bacteria or th- people could trip over things. And what what if this and that? Right. And then the type sevens are like, well, I like a clean home because I don't want it to keep me from the next fun thing. And the eights are like, well, I want a clean home because it's not going to control me. I'm going to control it. And the nines are like, oh. I just want to clean home so I can chill and relax. (laughs) So we can all look like we're doing the same thing outwardly, but inwardly there's a why behind it that's different. And same with our kids. We might see our kids doing something and we could go, oh, see, they're a such and such type. But you really can't know. And trust me, I tried with my kids because I started this when they were little and they actually ended up a little bit different than what I thought. So, the best time to really, and you can kind of talk about it when they're younger, but for most kids, it's when they're in their teenage years that they're starting to fully understand themselves and be able to nuance themselves. If they're an old soul, they can kind of start a little earlier. If they are a late bloomer and they could care less about the internal world, they're going to have to wait a while. Um, So what the book is really about is how to help you navigate your own heart as a mom when you get bombarded with all the things that are happening, Mm. because we get spun out all the time. We get overwhelmed, irritable, et cetera, et cetera. Why? What's going on under the hood? And when we can understand that doesn't mean like, Uh, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be this amazing mom. It's more that we're real. We're honest. We're authentic. And we can say to our kids, you know what? This is where I'm at. Um, I'll tell you, can I tell you one quick story? Yeah, please. Okay. So raising my kids, um, you know, with the Enneagram all these years, you know, we would talk about it on and off, but they didn't find their types until about 14 or 15 years old. And, um, And so, but from then on, they were pretty curious, but of course they're also like, mom, like enough, you know, so I had to kind of just use it sparingly, but, but with intentionality. So they knew me well enough. They knew that I had a common uh, record player message, a false message in my head that said, your presence doesn't matter. You Mm -hmm. should be overlooked. So. What would really ignite my nuclear button inside me as a mom is if I thought they were not listening, overlooking me, disrespecting me, like that would just send me kind of through the roof, whether I showed it or not. Well, they were, um, let's see, it was the summer, they were like late teenagers, they were home, they were in the living room playing games. And I came down from working and the kitchen was a disaster. And I knew I didn't create it. So I said, Hey, guys, I'm glad you're having fun playing games together. That's awesome. But hey, can you clean up the kitchen? I'm gonna go back upstairs and work. And you know, maybe you can get it done before I come downstairs. And I'm like, yeah, sure, mom. So I go upstairs, I work about four hours later, come back down. And yeah, you know it. The kitchen was still a disaster and they're still
0: playing games. Like they haven't moved,
1: but they're having a great time. Never all,
0: never happens at my house, Beth. Right?
1: <laughs> right. Inside me, I have this, com- these competing thoughts and feelings. On one side, especially as a type nine, I'm like, they're connecting, they're enjoying each other. This is beautiful. Don't ruin the moment. But then the other part of me is like, but I asked them to do it and they overlooked me. My, see, my voice doesn't matter. Nobody cares what I have to say. Like, that's what goes on. Yeah. But that was my rumble strip moment. That was my moment to go, okay, hold on. You don't need to, you know, get all upset and blow this all up. You can be curious. You can enter the moment. You can speak to the reality that they, they're they doing a great job as in like getting along and all those things, but that you're hurt and why you're hurt. So I shared that all with them. And it was so incredible. It's like, just just know that when you are parenting your kids and you're teaching them, it it does matter. It, you may not see it all the time, but it's gonna show up every once in a while. So they came in and they're like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. You're totally right. I know that you probably feel that we're, kind of in a, in a way saying that your presence doesn't matter. Your voice doesn't matter, but that's not what we're trying to say by playing and forgetting. Like I, we get it. We know that's probably what you feel. We're sorry. Um, we'll get to it right away. We were just having fun and got caught up in in the day. And I'm like, part of me is like, wait, I don't think I can get upset anymore. Cause they like, they said they were sorry, you know? So it's kind of like, hey, okay, wait, what do I do now in this moment? Now, of course, this is just one moment. There's lots of other moments that didn't go well, but there's that one moment you're like, it's getting through to them. Like they're, they're being empathetic to me. They're understanding Mm -hmm. my point of view. They know what triggers me versus what would trigger them. And they're entering my world and my space and they're asking for forgiveness. But why that happened was because my husband and I have spent years trying to learn ourselves and to apologize to our kids when we show up in ways that are not helpful that we own our stuff and by knowing ourselves well we can own our stuff stel- our own our s- stuff and choose to move in a healthier trajectory our kids need us to be real and authentic they need mm-hmm. us they need to see that we're working on ourselves that we're sorry when we do make mistakes um, but that it doesn't end there, that we're growing, we're getting help. Um, and so that's really what the Enneagram uh, for Mom's book is mainly focusing on, is how to be your most authentic and the best version of yourself, even though it's really hard to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I can't wait for the book. It strikes me too, as you're talking about this, just the the benefit of being able to work through conflicts, whether it's with your children your spouse, your work colleagues, your friends, your family, whomever yeah. that there's great value in understanding this aspect and maybe sort of putting you in a position of taking a bigger pause when you yeah. find yourself in those moments. Maybe talk for a second about kind of how this yes. relates to oh. conflict resolution and you as a nine in particular I know this resonates yeah. deeply for you but it does it does for me too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Usually and the why the enneagram can be so powerful. Like I said, you know, you're wearing a lens, you're seeing the world through your specific lens, but there's nine different lenses. So think of nine different colored lenses. Now we're all seeing the same trees and circumstances, but how we interpret it and react to it is very different. And so if we realize that, then what would bother me isn't the same that's going to bother my husband or my son or my daughter. And by understanding where they're coming from, my by me taking off my lens for a second and putting their lens on, it allows me to have compassion and empathy. It helps me to say I'm sorry for the things that maybe seem not really a big deal to me, but really mean a big deal for them. So an example, when my husband and I start to dance, you know, kind of conflict, um, tension rises and as a nine, that just feels like an anaphylactic reaction, like I cannot do this. And so I just want to shut down or run away or something. Well, that seems natural and normal and understandable from my viewpoint. But what I didn't know for years that anytime I would shut down, even even if I'm still in the presence with him, but I would emotionally start to shut down or disconnect from him, it only said one thing to him that this was the beginning of the end of our relationship because mm. he's a type six and type six is fear, abandonment. They fear being alone, targeted. Um, they want security, guidance, and support and nothing about shutting down says anything of that sort. So I didn't realize that by me doing my natural bent was greatly affecting him in a way that I would never want him to feel that way. Like, no, that... <laughs> is not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm just overwhelmed and, and I don't want conflict. But once I once he made it aware to me that this dynamic was going on, I'm now able to say, because I can get overwhelmed and I can feel it starting to come on, wanting to shut down. I can say, hey, I need some time to really process before we keep talking or, or nuancing this discussion. Can you give me 15 minutes to just step away, to kind of calm my internal world down, process some thoughts, and then come back to this conversation? Like, I'm for you, I'm for us, but I need my own space for a second. Now, it's not that he loves that. Like, he would rather work it out right then. That feels truer to who he is. Mm-hmm. But because he can put on my lens and he understands what I'm going through, he feels more confident like, oh, she's for me, she's for us. She's coming back. Now, he did say once, Beth, sometimes you don't come back to the conversation. And I'm like, (laughs) fair enough, fair enough. I will note that, you know. Um, But so by him saying that, I was like, okay. if I ask for this, I do need to come back and engage again. And so that's really helped our dance, so to speak, become a much smoother dance. It, It all 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 nine enneagram types, whether you're with the same type or different types, you're gonna run into things that create conflict or tension because we misunderstand each other's. But instead of assuming incorrectly, we call it a sumicide. Instead of assuming incorrectly, which can begin to hurt and destroy relationships, take a pause, be curious, put on their lens, and just even think, well, why would they, how could they be thinking of this different? Be curious, yeah. open-minded, and it will help you to engage. In that relationship in a whole new way. It will give you great compassion and empathy to come alongside them versus at them. And that's how the Enneagram can be just so, so powerful.
0: Yeah. I would think too that it can be a little dangerous to try to um, identify or peg a person as a particular type without them having gone through the exercise themselves. Is that sort of true? You you should
1: not type other people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, of course we all have inklings. We're mm-hmm. we're curious. We see patterns. But again, like I said, with that, you know, perfectly clean home, you might see certain behaviors outwardly, but it can be very different on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, my daughter, I thought, oh, she's probably a nine, maybe a two, because she's so much like me. Well, she was like me because as a two, she was trying to Um, be connected with me as a little girl. Mm. But when she got older, twos can be pretty fiery and she doesn't mind conflict if you know there's something that needs to happen or get done. And so as she became a teenager and on, it was like, oh yeah, you're not me. You were just kind of molding with me as a young girl. Um, And then another example would be my husband. He's a type six and people think, oh, they are fearful all the time. Well, there's a a type that looks fearful and there's a type that goes counter to their fear. They're like go headlong into it. Well, Mm. that's my husband. So he actually looks more like a type eight. Um, Mm. And so you can mistype people in your own mind and then treat them a certain way, which isn't true to who they are and can affect your relationship. So it's best to let the person, Uh, discover themselves type themselves um but you can ask a lot of curious questions you can say hey you know what's your greatest fear whatever you know like you can encourage them to find their type but ultimately they have to be the ones to do it
0: yeah yeah oh Beth, what a great conversation and what a great way to kick off the new year with you and with the Enneagram. How can folks learn a little bit more about you and your business? Where can they find you? How can they work with you? Share your yeah. share your details, if you would.
1: Yeah. So everything is at yourenneagramcoach.com. Um, that's also my handle on Instagram um, and Facebook. We have a path that you can start with taking the free assessment in the upper right-hand corner, and that's a great place to start. We've got some online coaching courses that I help you explore your type, um, and even one that help you discover your type. Um, Those are great places to start. Um, Some people are like, I want to go deeper. I want it more customized to me. Well, we have certified coaches. I've trained over 2,500 coaches around the world, and you can find an excellent certified coach at my EnneagramCoach.com, And that's just another great place to find resources. And then for those out there that are the Enneagram enthusiasts, and they're like, I want to be a coach, we actually train coaches. And it's one of my favorite things to do, because then I know they're going to get out in the world and help more and more people. So that's one of uh, our favorite
0: things to do is train coaches. Yeah, that's awesome. Beth, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Hey friend, what did you think about this? What do you think about the Enneagram? Did you recognize your personality type in what Beth and I talked about today? I would love to hear. Send me some feedback on the episode and let me know um, how all of this resonated with you. Um, In the meantime, have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you again next time. And remember, She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media. Take care.